0: Let me invite you to turn for the final time this evening to our studies in the book of Joshua, and tonight to the final two chapters. So Joshua chapters 23 and 24. What we find in these concluding chapters is that although they haven't completely driven out the pagan inhabitants of Canaan, the people of Israel have finally possessed the land of promise and have drawn up its internal boundaries and designated its cities of refuge and its Levitical cities. And now they're ready to begin settling down there and living their lives in this place of God's blessing. And Joshua, who has led them faithfully through this great conquest, is old and gray now and is nearing the end of his earthly pilgrimage. And so he gathers the Israelites together two last times in these last chapters to give them some very important parting words as to what to do with the pagans living around them and as to how they must now go forward following the Lord. He gives them the kind of speeches that you would expect a Christian father to give a child that has come of age and is now moving out on his or her own or going away to college, or the kind of speech that you would expect a pastor to give his flock as part of his final sermon. That's what we have in Joshua chapters 23 and 24. Joshua's last sermons, if you will, his last words of wisdom to the children of Israel, his last messages to the flock that he must soon leave behind. And I want us just to read both of them together now. The first sermon in chapter 23, and then the second in the first 28 verses of chapter 24. Now it came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side, and Joshua was old, advanced in years, that Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders and their heads and their judges and their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has been fighting for you. See, I have apportioned to you these nations which remain as an inheritance for your tribes, with all the nations which I have cut off, from the Jordan even to the great sea, toward the setting of the sun." The Lord your God, he will thrust them out from before you and will drive them from before you, and you will possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left so that you will not associate with these nations these which remain among you or mention the name of their gods or make anyone swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you are to cling to the Lord, your God, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you. And as for you, no man has stood before you to this day. One of your men puts to flight a thousand. For the Lord, your God, is he who fights for you just as he promised you. So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord, your God. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you, and intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out from before you, but they will be a snare and a trap to you and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you, not one of them has failed. It shall come about that just as all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you will perish quickly from off the good land which he has given you. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and their judges and their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt by what I did in its midst, and afterward I brought you out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land when I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I was not willing to listen to Balaam, so he had to bless you, and I delivered you from his hand. You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you, and the Amorite, and the Perizzite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Jergashite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Thus I gave them into your hand. Then I sent the hornet before you, and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your sword or your bow." I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities which you had not built, and you have lived in them. You are eating of vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord." If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt." from the house of bondage and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord for he is our God. Then Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. The people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now, therefore, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God, and we will obey his voice. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be for a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be for a witness against you, so that you do not deny your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people each to his inheritance. Father... May it be that in all truth and sincerity and with our eyes wide open, we would leave tonight saying, we will serve the Lord. And help us to do it, not just to say it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Chapter 24. Verse 15. That's really the theme of both of these final two chapters, both of these final two sermons from Joshua's lips. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. And with those words, Joshua really is throwing down the gauntlet, isn't he? Because not only does he call for a decision now, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, but he even poses the possibility that, hey, if you want to serve some other god, verse 15, then go ahead and make up your mind mind and do so. If you want to go back to the idols of our ancestors, or if you want to go serve the idols of your pagan neighbors, then go right ahead. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now at the end of that verse, and in the most memorable way, Joshua tips his hand, doesn't he? He's already multiple times in these sermons said that the only real choice is to serve the Lord. But even if he hadn't said that already, we'd know his mind on this question. We'd know the decision that he hoped the Israelites would make by what he says famously here at the end of verse 15. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua clearly has an aim in mind with these two sermons. He wants to stir his countrymen to follow the Lord and to follow him fully and to follow him as a bride with her groom, forsaking all others. Just notice it as we work our way back through. Chapter 23, verse 6. Be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. Verse 8, you are to cling to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. Verse 11, take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. And then chapter 24, verse 14, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. That's Joshua's aim for the people. That's the decision he wants them to make. And in addition to all these positive admonitions to follow the Lord and serve the Lord, he also gives them warnings against following other gods, the very gods he's just posed as possibilities for the Israelites' allegiance in chapter 24, verse 15. Listen to what he says about the other gods back in chapter 23, verses 6 and 7. Be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left so that you will not associate with these nations these which remain among you or mention the name of their gods or make anyone swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. Verses 11 through 13, So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you, and intermarry with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out from before you, but they will be a snare and a trap to you and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. And why was it so wrong for them to associate with the nations? Because the nations worshipped false gods. And then chapter 24, verse 14. Listen again to what he says about the gods. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And then verse 23, Now therefore put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So it's clear what decision Joshua wants the people to make. It's clear what decision he's preaching for here. And his aim is exactly what we would expect it to be, that the children of Israel would set aside the false gods and that they would serve their own God and serve him fully. And because we know that's his goal, it makes it somewhat intriguing, doesn't it? That he poses the possibility in chapter 24, verse 15, that the Israelites could, in fact, go ahead and decide to serve these other gods. Why does he even present that as a possibility in verse 15? He's not just asking whether they want the meatballs or the pasta. He's not asking them to choose between two equally viable options. He wants them to choose the Lord. They must choose the Lord or they perish. Indeed, he commands them in verse 14 to choose the Lord. So why does he even present this other possibility? Why does Joshua even add this bit about choosing another God if following the Lord seems disagreeable? Why even give them that option? Well, Joshua's challenge in verse 15 about serving other gods, if that's really what you want to do, may be a hint, first of all, that Joshua sensed that for some of his countrymen, serving the Lord was, in fact, disagreeable, to use his word. He had certainly heard grumblings before over those 40 years of wilderness wanderings, hadn't he? And apparently he was concerned that maybe the Israelites hadn't quite gotten it out of their systems yet, And so the gauntlet in verse 15 is perhaps Joshua's way of saying to the people, you know, if you don't think God is doing right by you, if you don't think that serving the Lord is best, if you think that any of these other gods will take better care of you, then just go ahead and say so and go ahead and follow them by all means. And maybe that's a challenge that some of us need to hear tonight. Some of us may have been grumbling against the Lord recently. Some of us may have begun to think, or peradventure even to insinuate with our words that serving the Lord isn't really all that agreeable to us. It's really not all that great. We're not getting what we want out of God or what we thought we had coming out of God, and so maybe we wouldn't say it in such stark terms, but we may have begun to think and act and murmur in such a way that it has become clear that serving the Lord is disagreeable in our sight. And maybe the challenge we need to hear tonight is something like this. Well, if it's all that bad, why don't you just quit? Maybe the gods of the culture will do you better. Maybe you should just make a clean break of it. Maybe you should just give yourself officially and finally to entertainment and sports and food and material success and so on. Maybe they will be able to satisfy you in the ways that you feel that God is not. If it's disagreeable to you to follow after the Lord, then pick someone else and some other God and see how it goes. Now, I hope you can hear the sarcasm in that. I hope you understand that This abandonment to the gods of the culture is not what I'd suggest. It's not what I want for you. It's not what would actually be prudent. But I hope you also hear a realism that says let's not play games here either. Let's either serve God and realize how good we have it, or let's just go ahead and walk away from Him. But we can't have it both ways. In other words, let's not play church here. Let's either serve God and serve him without reservation, or let's admit that we have no intention of doing so and find another God that we think will satisfy us. But let's not straddle the fence. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. And there is a choice to make. Indeed, perhaps that is another reason why Joshua, while he desperately wanted his people to choose the Lord, Perhaps the fact that they did have to choose was another reason why Joshua posed an alternative to following the Lord. Maybe the idea is that he didn't want them to go forward. He didn't want them to settle into their homes and begin tending their vineyards and begin raising their children without ever having definitively settling in their minds that they were going forward intentionally with God. It's easy... When you've grown up all your life like these people and like some of us, when you've grown up all your life around the things of God, when you've grown up in our context in a Christian home, it's easy to just assume that following the Lord is the default. Of course I'll serve the Lord. Of course I'm a Christian. Of course I'll follow the Lord. But Joshua doesn't want this generation of Israelites to just presume that they will serve the Lord. He wants them to realize there is an alternative An alternative, in fact, that they can easily slip into what with all the pagans round about them and the potential of intermarriage with them. And so he reminds them here that they actually have to choose. They didn't come out of the womb following the Lord, and neither do you and I. Indeed, the reality is that we come out of the womb and we're conceived in the womb, as David says in Psalm 51, bent away from the Lord. Even those of us who, like David, grew up among God's people. We can follow the gods of the culture without having to choose. That's what's normal to us. That's our default. But if we're going to truly follow the Lord, well, then we have to make up our minds and choose, verse 15. And so let me say a particular word, especially to you children this evening, but to anyone else who's not sure that you're really following the Lord as well. Children... You are growing up with tremendous advantages, being brought to church on a regular basis, hearing the prayers of God's people, hearing the gospel every week and probably multiple times a week in your homes, having parents who, while they are imperfect, really do love the Lord and have chosen to serve Him. But kids, none of that means that you will serve the Lord necessarily. None of it means that when your parents step aside like Joshua and when you're ready to live on your own, none of your godly upbringing guarantees that you will automatically serve the Lord, children. Indeed, the very bent of your nature is that you will go on your own way like a sheep. And so you mustn't just go through childhood and then reach into young adulthood, assuming that everything is well with you and that you're surely a Christian who will serve the Lord. No, There is a crossroads to be reached, and there is a decision for each of you children to make about whether or not you'll serve the Lord. And I urge you not even to wait until you're out on your own, until you're headed off to college, but to choose for yourselves today who you will serve. As Joshua says here, it is certainly a possibility that you could decide to serve the gods of the culture And we'll see how well they treat you over the long haul. But I urge you rather, all of you, to take diligent heed to yourselves. Chapter 23, verse 11. To love the Lord your God. And verse 8. Cling to the Lord your God. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. That's the decision that's laid before the people of Israel and that's the decision that's laid before us all. And you'll notice over the course of these two sermons, that Joshua wants the people to make an informed decision. He wants them to choose the Lord clearly, yes, that's clear, but he doesn't want them to do so blindly. He wants them to choose the Lord eyes wide open, as it were. He wants them to think it through. And to that end, what I want to show you for the next little while is that Joshua gives the Israelites, as you might expect, some pros to serving the Lord, some reasons why they should serve the Lord. But then I also want to show you that perhaps surprisingly, he also gives them what we might call a con, a warning, a difficulty that will come to them if they choose to serve the Lord. In other words, Joshua is not playing the part here of a shady salesman. He's not just talking up all the selling points and conveniently skipping over the more stern realities that the Israelites needed to understand. No, he's going to show them, yes, why it is a joy to serve the Lord, but he's also going to warn them that serving the Lord is not pie in the sky. So let's take a look at what he says. Let's let Joshua preach to us tonight as well. What are the pros to serving the Lord, according to Joshua. And why ought we and the Israelites be eager to serve him? Well, one theme which Joshua mentions again and again is how the Lord has fought for his people. We sang it in Tom Wells' song a few minutes ago, didn't we? The battle is the Lord's. And multiple times in chapter 23, Joshua reminds the Israelites that the whole reason they've been able to possess this land, the whole reason they're about to settle down into their new homes is because the battle has been the Lord's. The Lord has fought for them. The Lord has driven out their enemies. The Lord, and not their own might, has given them the land. Look at chapter 23, verse 3. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has been fighting for you. And the same thing in verses 9 and 10. For the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you. And as for you, no man has stood before you to this day. One of your men puts to flight a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you, just as he promised you. And then the same thing over in chapter 24, verses 11 through 13. You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you, and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Jergashite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Thus I gave them into your hand. Then I sent the hornet before you, and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your sword or your bow." I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities which you had not built, and you have lived in them. You are eating of vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. So it wasn't Israel ultimately who conquered the land, was it? It was the Lord who fought for them. And what in the very next verse there in chapter 24 should be their obvious response to a God who has fought for them? Well, let me read again verses 11 through 13, and then you notice the therefore in verse 14 and what follows. You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you, and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Jergishite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Thus I gave them into your hand. Then I sent the hornet before you, and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your sword or your bow, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities which you had not built and you have lived in them. You are eating of vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Because I fought for you, therefore, serve me, turn to me, fear me. And we see the same logic back in chapter 23 when Joshua reminds the Israelites in verses 9 and 10 that it's he who fought for them. And what should be their response? Well, again, listen to the so what as we transition from God's works in verses 9 and 10 to Israel's appropriate response in verse 11. For the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you, and as for you, no man has stood before you to this day. One of your men puts to flight a thousand, for the Lord your God is He who fights for you, just as He promised you. So, take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. So do you see the case Joshua is making here? Serve the Lord, chapter 24, verse 14. Love the Lord, chapter 23, verse 11. Why? Because He's the one who's been fighting for you. Because He's the one who gave you this land. Because He's the one who has made you who you are. Serve the Lord, in other words, because of what He has already done in your life. Because of the grace He has shown you. Because He has earned the right of your allegiance. And not only had he done so by fighting for the Israelites in these recent days of conquering Canaan, but then in chapter 4, verses 1 and following, Joshua rehearses a much broader sweep of history, doesn't he? Dating all the way back to God's call of Abraham, in which God continually did his people good, and in which he continually showed them favor and continually chose them as his special people. And it only makes sense now that they should choose to follow him. And so that's the first pro to following the Lord, the first check mark in God's column so to speak. Look how good the Lord has been to you says Joshua. Look back and see his kindness in your life and can you do anything but serve him in return? And can't we apply that same logic to ourselves? Look at all that God has done for us in days gone by. Think of all the times he's answered your prayers. Think of all the sins that he has forgiven you. Think of all the good that he's done you. And even in broader terms, think of the incarnation, which we celebrate at this time of year, and the cross, and the empty tomb. God came down and fought for Israel in the book of Joshua, which is amazing. But far more significant is that in the person of Jesus, God came down and joined Israel. And join the race of men. And to fight our battle. To overthrow our two great enemies. Namely the devil and our own indwelling sin. This God man did not. As at Jericho shed the enemy's blood. But in our case. He came and shed his own blood. And then he rose on the third day. So that we too. Both in this life and in the life to come. May walk. Might walk. In newness of life. And so. If the sons of Israel could look back and consider God's past works on their behalf and conclude that they really must serve this God, how much more we who live on the backside of Bethlehem and Golgotha and the empty tomb. Indeed, even if there were nothing more to say tonight, if this were the end of Joshua's sermon and of mine, even if all we had to go on was God's past interventions in our life, We'd have more than enough reason to say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you consider what God gave us in that manger? Can you consider the message of Christmas and then of Good Friday and then of Easter Sunday and still choose to serve the gods of the culture that have done precious little for you besides sap your time and anesthetize your soul? We must serve the Lord because of what he has done. But then there's more to say in the pro column because not only does Joshua preach what God has done, but he also preaches what God is going to do if the people will follow him. Listen to chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. See, I have apportioned to you these nations which remain as an inheritance for your tribes with all the nations which I have cut off from the Jordan even to the great sea toward the setting of the sun. The Lord your God, he will thrust them out from before you and drive them from before you and you will possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Now what we have in verse 4 is something of a progress report. Israel has possessed the entirety of the land that God had promised them as an inheritance, but they haven't fully forced out all of its pagan inhabitants. Some of those pagans, verse 4, remained on the land. Some of those nations remained. But as God had fought Israel's battles in the past, so we learn in verse 5 he will continue to do so in the future, provided, verses 12 and 13, that Israel doesn't compromise with these pagans, provided Israel doesn't intermarry with them and become attached to them and their gods. Verse 5, The Lord your God, He will thrust them out from before you and drive them from before you and you will possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. So here is an inducement to follow the Lord, not based on what He has done, but now based on what He will do for those who honor Him. And what should be the response to such a God? Well, note the connection between verse 5, what God will do, and then verses 6 and 7, what Israel should do in response. The Lord your God, he will thrust them out from before you and drive them from before you, and you will possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left so that you will not associate with These nations, these which remain among you, or mention the name of their gods, or make anyone swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. So, says Joshua, serve God, love God, choose God, not only because of what he has already done, but what he promises to do for those who love him. And again, if the Israelites should have been swayed by such logic, how much more we? who live in days when the extent of God's future plans for his people have been made all the more plain to us. We know that the end game is not just an earthly kingdom free of God's enemies, as in Joshua 23, 5, but a heavenly kingdom populated wholly with his saints and a new earth beyond in which righteousness dwells and into which the ungodly, according to Revelation 22, may not enter. Paul says that eye has not seen and ear has not heard all that God has prepared for those who love him. But what we have heard is absolutely astonishing, isn't it? Just read the final two chapters of the Bible sometime soon and see what God has promised to his people and choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed and not one of his future promises will fail either. And this is abundant reason for you to choose the Lord and to serve him well. And then there's one more pro in Joshua's speeches about following the Lord. And that is that we must From chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, consider the alternative. If you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you and intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out from before you, but they will be a snare and a trap to you and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. In other words, if you follow the crowd, Joshua says, and by implication, if you follow the crowd's gods, you'll only be letting yourself in for trouble. The false gods, whether they be in Joshua's day or our own, the false gods and the people who cling to them are not actually really all that pleasant to be around in the end. They're like thorns in your eyes and whips, on your side, and if you choose to make your bed with them, God will ensure that you feel the discomfort. And again, I can preach the same way to myself and to you as Joshua does here. I can say to you without equivocation that if you choose to make your bed with the world, and if you choose to lie down with the world's gods, you will assuredly find yourself living in the midst of spiritual bedbugs. It may appear from the outside that people who live their lives without God have it made. But many of their lives are far more of a mess than you may realize, and yours will be too if you yoke yourselves to them and to their idols. And even those people who, as in Psalm 73, die fat and happy, will wake up from that death with whips on their sides and thorns in their eyes in hell, and they will be that for one another. I wonder if you ever thought about hell in that way. It's true the great torment of hell is the direct and full wrath of God poured out incessantly forever in unquenchable fire. But I wonder if an added misery in hell won't be the fact that everyone around you will be so horrible to be around. Everyone around you will love himself more than anything else and will hate God and will love sin and will continually spur and drag and provoke you to further and further levels of degradation. Sometimes we picture people in hell as having a great party because they're all there together as sinners. But it's no fun to be around people like that, is it? And if your fate is to live among them, it will be no fun forever. And it will be your fate to live among them and to die among them and to spend eternity among them unless you heed Joshua's exhortation and cling to the Lord your God. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. And Joshua has given us three compelling reasons why we should take diligent heed to love the Lord. Because of what he has done for his people, because of what he will do for those who love him, and because the alternative to serving the Lord is a miserable one indeed. But then, as I said earlier, Joshua, while he wants the Israelites to choose the Lord... He wants them to do so with their eyes wide open. He doesn't want them to choose the Lord and then after gathering further information about what that means to rue that decision or to say they didn't know what they were signing up for or to accuse Joshua of false advertising. And so along with all the pros that he's just given, in the second part of chapter 24, Joshua also gives the people what at first appears to be a con, a reason why they might not want to follow the Lord. And you can see that begin to unfold starting in verse 16. After his rousing speech and the challenge for them to choose whom they will serve, the Israelites, in verses 16 through 18, choose the Lord. And that's what Joshua wants, right? He wants them to choose the Lord, yes. But he also doesn't want them to make that decision lightly. And so he begins to explain to them that serving the Lord means not only that you sign up for the good times... But that if you call yourself his follower, if you make a profession of faith, if you choose today to serve the Lord, then you're also signing up for his chastisement if you should later turn your back on him. Listen again to verses 16 through 20. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for the Lord our God is he who brought us us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went, and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God." Then Joshua said to the people, You will not be able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after He has done good to you. Now, do you see what Joshua is saying? Obviously, there are great consequences when people choose from the get-go not to serve the Lord. But even when you choose to serve him, as Israel does here, even when you do follow him in faith, that does not mean that life will always come up roses. Because those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And I think that's what Joshua is talking about in verse 20. Joshua wants the people to know that serving the Lord will put them into the camp of people who receive God's discipline when they go astray. Choosing to serve the Lord means being held to a higher standard. Choosing to serve the Lord in some ways is harder in the short term than just going your own way because God is holy, verse 19, and jealous and He does not sweep sin under the rug. I think that's what... Joshua probably means there at the end of verse 19 when he says that God will not forgive Israel's sins. I don't think he means that there's no forgiveness for them, period, but that God will not just overlook their sin. God won't just wink at it, He won't sweep it under the rug. There will be repercussions if those who bear His name turn their hearts to idols. And if they weren't careful, that's what Israel would do. And if we're not careful, that's what we'll do. And even if we don't fall that far, We still won't follow the Lord perfectly, verse 19. It's true of you as it is of me and of the Israelites. In a perfect sense, you will not be able to serve the Lord. Thank God for his grace in Jesus. But as you think about serving the Lord, you're not going to walk blamelessly before him. You're not going to serve him as you ought. And therefore, you need to understand, if you choose to serve this God, if you call yourself his child, then the rod of discipline will fall on you when you stray from him. God, who did you good, will turn and do you harm, verse 20. Not permanent harm, if you're his child, but temporary pain and difficulty by means of his discipline for your sin. And just keep reading into the book of Judges and see what God did to the people when they turned away, as Joshua warned them not to do. I want you to take this seriously about God's discipline. First of all, I want you to take it seriously if you've already chosen the Lord, if you've already professed Christ as Lord. Does it occur to you that God does not sweep your sin under the rug just because you're his child, But that he may actually, in the earthly realm anyway, deal with your sin more harshly than with the same sin committed by your godless neighbor. I think we sometimes flip that around and think, well, because I'm a Christian, God's not as mad about my sin as he is about theirs. No, God deals more harshly with you in an earthly sense because you're his child. He disciplines those whom he loves. And I don't think that we're always very good in our culture with our penchant for having a scientific explanation for everything that goes wrong. I don't know that we're always good at recognizing God's hand in the difficulties in our lives, even when they might be explained scientifically. But we ought to be, because here it is in Joshua. If you serve the Lord, he will chastise idolatry in your life. He will do things that seem to you in the moment anyway to be harm. And I want you to consider that fact this evening as well if you're in the midst of deciding whether or not you will serve the Lord. Don't sign up lightly. Don't think that following Christ grants you immunity from God's recompense for sin. It grants you immunity from such pains after death, but following Christ may actually increase your pain, increase your chastisements experienced in this life if you don't walk faithfully in his ways. And so you mustn't follow him lightly. And yet I say to you, you still must choose for yourself today whom you will serve. You still must make a decision. And the only suitable choice is that you, verse 23... Put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. No, you won't be able to serve him fully. Yes, you will fall foul of his holiness and often need his rebuke and sometimes even the temporary harm of his chastisement. But if you serve the Lord, if you choose the Lord, if you love the Lord, well, then you will have a God who has already fought the great battle for you. A God-man who has already spilled blood, his own blood, so that you might enter into his promised kingdom. And a God who promises to perfect what he began in you such that even his chastisements will work for your eternal good. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, says the author of Hebrews. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Such that even the discipline that Joshua mentions, which seems like a con as we make our decision to follow the Lord, is actually not a con, but a pro. It is a good thing. It is an inducement to serve a God who doesn't leave us alone in our sin who's jealous for his glory and jealous that we would reflect it in our lives. So while Joshua surely speaks about God's discipline here to make the Israelites think hard about whether they really want to serve this God, the reality is if we think hard enough and think clear enough, we'll see that even the discipline falls into the pro column. And so it's worth it to serve this God even if you fail to do so fully and even if you fall under his rod of discipline because of it. It's worth it to serve this God, both for what he has already done for us and for the joy set before us and for the fear of the alternative and, yes, even for the comfort of knowing that he will chastise us rather than letting us fall away. I say to you, it's worth it to serve this God. And I urge you to choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. And before we close, let's just look at how the book ends in verses 29 through 33. It came about after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath-Serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim on the north of Mount Gaash. "'Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua "'and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua "'and had known all the deeds of the Lord "'which he had done for Israel. "'Now they buried the bones of Joseph, "'which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt at Shechem "'in the piece of ground which Jacob had bought "'from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, "'for 100 pieces of money, "'and they became the inheritance of Joseph's sons. "'And Eleazar the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gebeah of Phineas his son, which was given him in the hill country of Ephraim. So Joshua dies, and Eliezer the priest dies, and the Israelites keep the promise that their forefathers had promised to Joseph to bury him in the land of promise. And the Israelites did indeed serve the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the the days of the elders who survived Joshua. Indeed, it seems from the book of Judges that the people remained faithful for the remainder of that generation. Praise God. Now, they didn't serve God perfectly. They still, we find in Judges, didn't drive out all the pagans like they were supposed to from the land of Canaan, and the Lord did indeed chastise them for it, as he said he would do. And so Joshua was right, in verses 19 and 20. And yet the Israelites who pledged to serve the Lord were right as well. They did remain faithful in many ways, it would appear. But their children fell away. Their children, Judges chapter 2, verses 7 through 10, fell away. Away, The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. And a great mess ensues for many generations to follow. And here in the fact that these children did not follow the Lord like their parents is another reminder before we close this study in the book of Joshua that every generation, indeed every person, must choose for themselves whom they will serve. No one here will ride into heaven on their parents' coattails, or in the merits of others in this church family. We'll arrive in heaven only by the merits of Jesus Christ. And we must choose for ourselves whether we will trust him, whether we will repent of our sins against him, whether we will serve him. And so I say to you one last time this evening, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve.